0: Hear this portion of God's word from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the saints. The Word of the Lord.
1: So welcome again um, Ray Johnston, in his book, The HQ, tells a story about uh, being invited to attend a conference and be the keynote speaker in in Florida, of all places. He's from California, and so he got on a plane and flew to Florida, and it was hot and muggy there. It was the middle of the summer, and so when he got there, he went inside, put his swim trunks on, and thought, I am going to jump in that beautiful, pristine lake right outside this conference center. So he gets his shorts on, and he goes out to the end of the dock. And as he's just about to jump in, uh, he notices that there's a man sitting in a chair at the end of the dock that looks like someone from Duck Dynasty. He's got the long beard, he's got the camos, and he's, he turns to him and he says, you know, it's a hot one out here, isn't it? And trying to make small, stock, small talk. And this, this Duck Dynasty guy says, yep. And he says, you know, is it always hot like this? Yep. And he says, hmm, well, um, have you lived around here for a long time? Yep. And he said, hmm, okay. And he realizes he's not going to talk much. So he goes to the end of the dock, takes off his shirt, and he's getting ready to jump in. And the guy says, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And he, he like stops and he turns and he says, Why? Is it is it against the conference rules? And we no I mean why would I not be able to jump in? And he said, Well, this here's the most gator-infested lake in all of Florida. And he looks and he says, Are you serious? And he didn't even realize he was completely oblivious. And then he looks down into the water and he sees about twelve Gators looking right up at him, less than 15 feet away. And he was just about to jump in. And he said, you know, when I was looking at those gators, they were looking at me, and you know what they were thinking? Lunch. Lunch. And so he was oblivious to something that could have killed him. Completely killed him. And he turned around and he says to Duck Dynasty... He says, wow, you know, is this really the most gator-infested lake in all of Florida? And he says, yep, but it only takes one. (laughs) Oftentimes, we are oblivious to the things that can kill us. Not necessarily a physical death, but a spiritual death. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about spiritual warfare. I want to talk about playing great defense, the things that we can do to protect ourselves from the things that could kill us spiritually, and so before I get into it, I'd just like to pray, because I know that when we breach a topic like this, the enemy wants nothing more than to distract you and to keep you from focusing, and this is an important message for all of us, okay? So will you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to hear your word today. And to know that there are things that we can do to stand up against the devil's schemes. That we don't have to be sitting ducks. That we don't have to just be beaten up over and over again. That we can take a stand and we can be victorious. And Lord, I pray that every person that is here today will be able to listen in and apply the truths that we're going to speak today right out of your word. I pray that you would give us the strength and the ability to apply these lessons in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the last week of our Unleashing Hope series. And as you know, we've been looking at these principles throughout the the last seven weeks on things that will provide hope, instill hope in us, so that we can be more effective in the calling that God has placed on our lives. And it also gives us the ability to instill hope in others, because there's a world out there that is in desperate need of hope, and we know where our hope comes from. And so it's important for us to be able to instill that will. Now every morning when we wake up in the morning, and I mean every morning, we are facing a personal battle, a spiritual battle. And the problem is that many of us are completely oblivious to the battle that's going on around us. We're oblivious to it. We're not thinking about it. We're not in tune to it. But it's there. And we wonder why we keep getting beaten up. We wonder why we keep just getting uh, uh, tossed around like a wave in the middle of the ocean. Uh, And and then we, we just say, Lord, you know, what is going on here? But we don't know the source. We're not thinking about the source. We have no conception of the enemy that we're dealing with, and we have no conception of the battle that we're facing. And because of that, we are at a great disadvantage. In uh, 1995, there was a a movie that came out, one of my favorite movies, actually, called Usual Suspects. Do you remember that movie? There's a great line in that movie uh, that was spoken by Verbal. Remember Verbal, the character? He's played by uh, Kevin Spacey. And he says this in the movie. He says, the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. The greatest trick that the devil ever pulled And I think that a lot of times we go around facing hardships and challenges and we never equate them with spiritual warfare. We just say, man, I'm having a bad day, I'm having a bad week, you know, or we vilify a person or an institution instead of getting to the root of where the problem really exists. And in Ephesians 6, it specifically says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the devil and his demonic hosts. The devil and his demonic hosts. And they are working against us every day to bring us down. To destroy our relationships. To make us ineffective. But here's the good news. This is a battle that we can win. This is a battle that we can win. You see, in Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now what is the significance of that passage? The significance is that when Christ died and rose from the dead, he broke the power of sin and death. And then later, he sends his Holy Spirit to reside in us, As believers, if we are a believer, the Holy Spirit is living in us, which means Christ is living in us, and he has authority over any form of brokenness, sin, death, evil, Satan, and any of his minions. Okay? So we have a power source residing in us through Christ that gives us the ability to be triumphant in the midst of spiritual battles. So when we get up in the morning, and we get dressed, we usually get dressed based on what's happening that day, right? We think about our agenda, we think about who we're going to be meeting, we think about the weather, we look around, we look, maybe we check the weather on our phone, and if we're, if we're going to an interview, and we need to dress up, we put on the designer jeans. We don't put on the jeans that have the holes in them, right? And if we're, if we're going to go play golf, you know we're going to wear a golf shirt. If we're going to go to the gym, we might put on sweats or tights. We might put on a t-shirt or something that's going to be suitable to working out. right? And if we know it's going to be really cold like it's been the last few days, we're going to put on layers so that we know we're going to be comfortable throughout the day. But I wonder... If we're getting up in the morning and we're saying to ourselves, I am going to enter a spiritual battle today and I need to put on the armor of God. I would guess that very few of us do that. But Ephesians 6 tells us that we should. It says that we should. And Paul talks about it because he knows that the spirit realm is just as real as the natural realm. He knows that. And what he also knows is that the things that happen in the spirit realm have tremendous effect on us in the natural realm, rather we realize it or not. So the things that are happening around us every day in the spirit realm are impacting us in the natural. And what we find in Ephesians 6 is that we have the authority to enter into and play great defense in the spirit realm so that we can protect ourselves in the natural realm isn't that interesting now i was thinking about this in light of my experience over the course of my life and i was thinking back to all of the things that i've learned throughout the years uh the experiences that i've had and i was i was equating this idea of playing great defense to an experience that i had back in high school When I uh, joined the high school basketball team, and we had this new coach, and our basketball team uh, was average. I mean, really average. There were no scouts coming to our our games. I'll tell you that. Uh, There were no real standout players. No one was very... I was the tallest person, but I was totally uncoordinated, so that didn't really help. So we had this average team, and... The first several games of the season, we just got crushed. I mean, we lost all of our games. And then things started to change because our coach knew what we needed to do to beat teams that were better than we were. He knew what we needed to do, and he was instilling that in us at every practice. And by the end of the year, we started winning games. And by the end end of the season, we were winning all of our games, and then we ended up going to the state championship. And no one would have thought that was possible at the beginning of the season. And the strategies that he taught us were very simple, very simple, and it came down to this. Know your enemy, play great defense, and play smart. And he had a system for developing each of those principles in us. It was as simple as that. Know your enemy. Do we know our enemy? Can we anticipate their moves? Our coach would take us all over the place so that we could watch the teams that we would be playing. And on the way, he would tell us which person we were going to be guarding that next week when we played them and he would tell us I want you to focus on every one of their strengths
0: i want you to identify their
1: weaknesses i want you to watch what plays they're using because we're going to deconstruct those and we're going to be prepared to beat them when we play them and we would do that we had our assignments we would learn their strengths we would learn their weaknesses We'd learn the plays, and then we could anticipate their screens. We could anticipate their weaknesses, and we could exploit them. And even though we were average, we were prepared, and we would win games. And when it came to playing great defense, our coach would tell us that defense wins basketball games, not offense. Defense wins basketball games. And at practice, we would spend most of our practices running defensive drills until we were so tired we just thought we were going to fall down. And then our coach would say, Okay, let's run it one more time. Because if they can't score, they can't win. And so we would run it again. And the third part of his strategy was playing smart. Playing smart. And that entailed controlling the tempo and limiting the number of mistakes that we made on the court. He made us pass the ball five times before we could shoot. And if you've ever played basketball, that's infuriating. Five times, we were slowing things down, making sure that everything was planned perfectly, controlling the tempo. And if anybody turned the ball over during a game, the entire team would have to run a set of lines for every time we turned the ball over. And by the end of the season, I can tell you, we learned how to control the ball. We learned how to control the ball. We learned how to control the environment around us. Many teams were better than we were. But we controlled the environment that we were playing in better than anybody else. And we were in the best shape We were in the best shape. There was no team in the league that could outrun us. And our coach made sure of that. Now, I can't say that it was fun being on that team. It was a lot of work. It was really hard. And there were times that I literally wanted to kill that coach. I literally thought about it. It was so brutal in practice. Almost every practice, somebody threw up. It was that hard. But I'll tell you, at the end of the season, it was great winning. It felt good to win. And these same fundamentals that took our ragtag basketball team to the state championship will help us to win spiritual battles that we're facing today. The same fundamentals. Do we know our enemy? Do you know your enemy? You see, the devil is a coward. The devil is a coward. He attacks when you're weak. He waits until you're vulnerable, until you're tired, until you're discouraged or sick. And he's a liar. He will tell you half-truths. He will twist the truth. And he will get you to doubt yourself and doubt your relationship with God. He will get you to doubt God's love for you and his acceptance of you, he'll even get you to doubt your salvation. He will do anything that he can do to separate you from the love of God. One of his strategies is to bring division. He'll bring division and dissension within your relationships, within your marriage, between you and your kids. He stirs up fear and doubt and misunderstandings. And when these things are happening in our lives, in the moment, do we know that we're in a spiritual battle? Do we know? We need to take a step back, and we need to look at the bigger picture, because our problem is not our spouse, it's not our kids, it's not our boss, it's not our government, but it's the devil that is working behind the scenes trying to undermine anything that is good. And when we know our enemy, we can anticipate the things that he will do. We can play great defense. We can utilize the resources that God has given us, the weapons of warfare outlined in Ephesians chapter 6. And I'd like to take some time to consider what each piece is, each weapon, so that we can apply it in our lives. The first one is the belt of truth the belt of truth. Now, when Paul was sharing this, he was imagining a Roman centurion, a, a Roman soldier that had all his armor on. And so people would have seen those Roman soldiers walking throughout uh, the city. And so they knew exactly what they looked like. And they had seen all of their pieces of equipment, their, their armor. And so they could relate to this. So he's, he's using this as a great illustration for what we need to do when we enter our spiritual battles. The belt of truth. Think of the the belt that a weightlifter puts on before he squats like 400 pounds. It's a thick leather belt, and he tightens it up really tight, and what that does is it it protects his abdomen. And Paul equates that to the belt of truth. When we put on the, the belt of truth, it's like the word of God. He equates it to the word of God, the belt of truth. It's the word of God. And if we get into the word of God every day, we will have access to the truth. And therefore, when lies come our way, we'll be able to, uh, to compare them to the truth, and we'll be able to say, no, that is not the truth. That is a lie, and I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And we move on.
0: Now, most of us
1: get up in the morning, and we read the news. We check our email. We send a few texts to friends. We may go on to a couple social media sites to get informed and equipped for the day. But a lot of us skip right over reading the Bible. And that's a shame because the Bible is the primary source of truth. And it's God's primary way of instilling truth and speaking truth into your life. And so if we're missing that, what we're gaining is conventional wisdom from the world and we're missing The truth of God. Next, Paul talks about the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness was a a steel or or a leather uh, coat of mail that the Roman soldier would use to protect their torso in the thick of battle. Now, our protection is righteousness. Righteousness. Not our righteousness, but God's righteousness. Righteousness. You see, we've been made righteous by Christ's death, and his righteousness is then imputed to us. And because of that, because of what he did, we are holy, and we are set apart, and we belong to God, and therefore he will protect us. He will protect us. His righteousness is now our righteousness, and his blood covers a multitude of sins. See, we may screw up, we may fall short, but all we have to do is remember who we are in Christ. His righteousness is substituted for ours. Now, if we feel like we need to get up in the morning and pump ourselves up and remember all of the victories that we've made, the accomplishments, and we look in the mirror and we say, I'm good enough, I'm strong enough, I'm smart enough, whatever you need to do to get yourself going, what you're focusing on is your own righteousness. And what scripture tells us is that our righteousness is like filthy rags. But the creator of the universe is offering to exchange his righteousness. This is the one person who ever lived to go throughout their entire life without ever making a mistake, without ever sinning, without ever falling short. Their righteousness is perfect. And what he's saying is, I will give you my righteousness in exchange for yours. And that's what he's done. The next piece is footgear for the battle. Good footgear is important for the battle. If we wear flip-flops onto the battlefield, uh, we are risking uh, being exposed to the enemy. We are risking the possibility of slipping. And so, therefore, a soldier will wear uh, very solid, very durable uh, army-issue boots. Because it's important that they not slip. And good footwear will enable us to run. It gives us us good footing against darkness, deceit, and despair. And shod feet, feet fitted with this kind of footwear, is also an offensive weapon.
0: Notice that we're supposed
1: to walk with the readiness of the gospel of peace. You see, what this is saying is that because of who we are, And because our identity is rooted in Christ, and because we have the authority of Christ, we can walk into the worst battles with a sense of such confidence that we can usher in peace as we enter that landscape. We can bring peace, even into situations where we think peace would be absolutely impossible. The next piece is the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Now often before battles, soldiers would take their shield, and usually it was made of leather and sometimes coated with steel, but not always. Oftentimes it was just leather. And they would dip that shield into the nearby creeks so that it would become saturated with water. Now that would make it much heavier
0: But what it would also do is it would make that
1: shield impervious to flaming arrows and darts that the enemy would use at that point in history. When flaming arrows threaten us, we can can react with fear and we can be overcome by the onslaught of the enemy or we can put up our shield of faith and we can trust in God. We can trust in God. We can soak in the Lord and his word to make ourselves even stronger, to feel even more equipped. And there are many ways to do this. We can spend time in prayer. We can spend time with fellow believers that will speak truth and love and encouragement into our lives. We can listen to praise music. Sometimes that's edifying and we feel strength and we feel renewed because of the, of the music that we're listening to. We can fast, which is uh, putting aside things that we normally would rely on for our strength and vitality and instead we recognize that we have something that's even more powerful than that in Jesus. You see, these choices grow our faith and they help us to stand in the midst of intense battles. Whether that battle be in our mind, where the enemy frequently works, or in our home, or in our place of work. Next, the helmet of salvation. Helmets protect the head. If you have children, and they ride their bikes or their scooters, you're probably going to insist that they put on their helmets. Why? Because you know that the, the, the head is one area of your body that you must protect. You must protect Our salvation is from God, and it protects us from self-doubt. From self-doubt, from fear. From the fear that he won't forgive us when we mess up. You see, our salvation reminds us of who we are, and that gives us confidence. And we must put our confidence in his salvation daily and refuse to believe the lies that the enemy brings to us. Remember earlier I said that the enemy often comes with half-truths. We fall into an area of brokenness, a sin pattern that maybe we've been struggling with for a long time, and the enemy shows up and says, hey, I see you're doing that same sin again. Do you realize that when you sin like that, you're grieving the Holy Spirit? And you say, yes, you know, that, that is true. And then the enemy says, well, you know what? You've done this like 10,000 times. And you keep coming back to God and asking for forgiveness, right? I suppose when you're done here, you're probably going to ask God for forgiveness again, right? And you say, yeah, I probably am. And he said, well, why don't you just take responsibility for your life? Why don't you just admit that you don't have the character or the ability to be the Christian that you call yourself? Why don't you just... Have integrity. Walk away. Quit going to God with this. Do you see how those are half-truths? You see, some of it is true, but it's twisted and distorted because every decision that we make is either going to move us closer to God or it's going to move us further away. And if we are making a decision that is moving us away from Christ, that means the enemy has sold us a lie that we are buying into. And we cannot allow ourselves to do that. We cannot allow ourselves to do that. And we should know that God would never want us to do that regardless of how far we've fallen. So what do you do to protect your mind? What lies have you believed? What lies have you believed? You need to think about that. Each of us will answer that question differently. And we all believe them. We all get tripped up. But I encourage you to discern the lies that you are believing and then put protections in place so that you can stand up against them. Remember who you are in Christ. When we have the mind of Christ, the things that will come into our mind and the things that we will dwell upon will be pure thoughts, pure deeds. Pure actions that glorify the Father. Now finally, Paul talks about the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. Actually, there's two more. The sword of the Spirit is both offensive and defensive. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And when we study the Bible for its principles and truths, we can stand up against any of Satan's lies. When Jesus was tempted, remember when Jesus was tempted in the desert for 40 40 days, and then the enemy showed up to tempt him personally? Remember how Jesus responded to the devil? What did he do? He quoted scripture. Every time the enemy tried to throw something at him, Jesus responded with a scripture because he's upholding the truth he knows there's no higher truth than the word of god and what scripture also tells us if we resist the devil he will flee remember after the third time the devil had tried to tempt jesus and he couldn't get anywhere with him jesus kept bringing up scripture and the devil the devil left he just he fled And so the last thing that we need to do is we need to pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. This is what Paul is telling us. He's he's transitioning here from the military analogy to further exhortation. Okay? So when we pray in the Spirit, we are recognizing our human limitations. We are realizing that we can only do so much in our own strength, but if we tap into the Spirit of God that is residing in us through prayer, God will give us divine wisdom, strength, and power to overcome any form of darkness. You see, the enemy is stronger than we are as human beings. But the enemy is not stronger than who we are in Christ. We have authority over the enemy if we are in christ and we can make sure that we are walking in step with god by praying in the spirit now what i what i want to ask you now is can you see yourself putting on the armor of god in the morning similar to the way you put on your clothing can you see yourself doing that it sounds crazy but i have a friend right over here paula brandolini right over there paula has helped me run the alpha course more than 30 times And when we get to the section on evil, we talk about the armor of God from Ephesians 6. And I listened in on Paula talking about her experience with this passage and how she, she utilizes it in her own life. And she told her group, and I remember listening in and thinking, wow. She said, in the morning, when I get up and I put my clothes on, I simultaneously put on the armor of God. I actually act it out. I speak out those passages and I put on each piece because I know that the spiritual armor of God is just as important, if not more important, than the, than the clothing that I'm putting on. And there's something about speaking it out loud and acting that out in real time. And you know, I know a lot of people, but I know very few people that have more faith than Paula. She can walk into any situation and she just has this incredible confidence that God is in control. And there's a reason for that. Now, do you know your enemy? Are you playing great defense? Are you playing smart? These are questions you need to ask yourself. If so, you will be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, in his book HQ, uh, Ray finishes out this chapter with a couple of of practical life strategies, actually three of them, and I really liked them, and so I wanted to to use them today as well just to finish this message out. And it has to do with playing smart. He's focusing on our need to play smart. And one of the things that he says is, never make decisions when you're down. Never make decisions when you're down. You see, it is so tempting when we get beaten up in the midst of a battle to make life altering decisions that will impact our families, our careers, they, they impact everything. And we usually make terrible decisions when we're feeling down. And we go there because we just want relief. We just want to get away from the situation that we're dealing with. And in his book, Ray says If I made decisions when I was down, I wouldn't be married, I wouldn't have kids. I would have quit my job, and I would have given up on my faith. Can you relate to that? You see, we've been in those fights with our spouses or with our kids or with our boss or with our neighbor, and we've been in that situation, and, 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 and the first thing that comes into our mind is, I don't need this. Why am I putting up with this? It would be so much easier if I, right, and then you fill in the blank. But what you're trying to do in that moment is making a life-altering decision at a point when you're very low and you're frustrated and you're discouraged. And and what what Ray's saying is never do that. Never do that. Almost all knee-jerk decisions end up being destructive decisions. Take time to separate yourself from the situation. Pray, regroup, and think about what God is calling you to. Number two, Respond to bad news in great ways. Respond to bad news in great ways. Now, the number one key to success in anything is to respond to bad news in great ways. We're going to have bad news all the time. And we could be crushed by the bad news, or we can say, you know what? I'm going to be resilient and I'm going to turn this into something beautiful. I will not let this get me down. And if you do that, you will have a future. Your family will have a future. Your career will have a future. Your kids will have a future. Your church will have a future. No one will ever do well over the course of a decade if they don't respond to bad news in good ways. It's just true. Think of Nehemiah. Nehemiah from the Bible. The book of Nehemiah begins with incredibly bad news. Nehemiah learns a very depressing report that the walls of Jerusalem have been broken down, the gates have been burned, the people are scattered, they're vulnerable, they're susceptible to attacks, and so he's really down, he's really discouraged about this. In fact, he goes into mourning for several days, but he doesn't stay there. You see, he, he, he decides that there must be something better that he can do. And so he prays. Look at what he does. He prays. He catches a fresh vision. And then he gets permission from the king to, to move to Jerusalem. He rallies this little ragtag remnant. And within 52 days, because of his inspiration and because of his passion and because of his faithfulness, the walls of Jerusalem are restored against all odds. He was just one guy responding to bad news in a good way instead of a bad way. And it changed everything. Now the last principle that I want to touch on today is what Ray calls shake it off and step up. And there's an old parable of a farmer who has a little mule that falls into an empty well it's a dried up well that is no longer in use the mule falls down into the bottom and the farmer is assessing the situation he has no way of getting this mule out and he's thinking i can hear the mule down there in the bottom of the well so he calls his neighbors and he says we need to put this mule out of its misery let's just fill up the well with dirt we'll just put this poor mule out of misery And so all the neighbors start taking dirt, and they're throwing the dirt into the the well. And the the little mule at the bottom starts feeling the dirt fall down on top of him. And every time the dirt falls on his back, he shakes it off. He shakes it off, you know, and I'm sure he's panicking. But every time he shakes it off, the dirt falls to the bottom of the well. And the mule is able to step up. And over time... The mule is rising and rising and rising, and eventually he shakes it off so many times he's able to step out of the well. And that's a principle that we need to adhere to in our lives when we are facing battles, when we're facing adversity. So we know that the enemy is going to attack us. We know it. We are entering into a battlefield every morning when we get up. There's a spiritual battle waging around us. But if we play great defense, if we know our enemy, and we're willing to put on the full armor of God, we may still lose a few battles. But here's the best part of this story. We know how it ends. We may lose some battles, but we know who wins the war. And so we can enter into those battles with absolute confidence. So let me tell you this. When the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to take a piece of scripture and apply it to our lives in such a profound way that we can enter into spiritual battles and be victorious every time. If we are in you The enemy has no place in our life, and we have authority over the spiritual forces of darkness and evil. And Lord, I thank you for giving us that strength in Jesus. When we think about who we are, we are sons and daughters of the King. We have exchanged our righteousness, which was like filthy rags, for your righteousness, which is perfect. So the enemy has nothing on us. And so we can stand in confidence and we can go out and do the things that God has called us to. We can transform our families. We can transform our personal lives. We can transform the cities and we can transform the world. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the confidence and the ability and the passion to do just that. That we would know that we are in a good fight, that the creator of the universe is on our side that the Son of God is interceding 24-7 on our behalf, and two-thirds of the angels that did not fall are fighting on our behalf. This is a good fight, and we can win this in the name of Jesus. Amen.